subjective. Okay? So that all of your interpretation has to do with you. How, how does what you're paying attention to impact on you? What can you do with it? Or what should you do? Or so forth. The other mode in which you can pay attention to something is very uh, objective, where there's still the subject-object duality, but it, it polarizes, and the knower becomes very separate from the known. But this is still both attention. So whenever there's attention, there's very much this subject-object duality, a part of it. Whether, whether everything is being interpreted very subjectively, or whether the mind's making a separation and it becomes very objective, there is no mistaking. You think about it when you pay attention to something. You're conscious of something. Who's conscious? Well, I, whoever that is, me. There's this knower. I know that thing. And uh, so I'm either, I'm either entangling myself with it because I'm concerned about what its implications are for my future well-being and happiness, etc., or else I'm objectifying it and creating the separation, but there's always that duality. Now let's turn to the other mode of knowing, awareness, the distributed knowing. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, even when you're paying attention to something, there is simultaneously an awareness of the context, an awareness of your body, some degree or another of awareness of your mind, mental state, mood, so forth. Awareness of other things, processes, activities that are going on around you, aware of where you are. There's an awareness, like now, there's an awareness of how you came to be here, right? There's an awareness of why you're here. There's a lot of background present in this awareness, which gives whatever you're paying attention to its context. Now, if you can, if you, if you examine that that way of knowing, what you'll notice is there's much, much less processing taking place. As a matter of fact, your this background awareness that creates a context for your present experience seems to be experienced as a whole, as a package, all at once. You know what I mean? It's not broken down into parts. It's, and as a matter of fact, if you can, uh, if you can study it a bit, what you'll realize is that there's more of an awareness of how everything relates to everything else. It's the relationships, the relationships of things to each other and the relationship of things to the whole that is more prominent in awareness rather than focusing on any individual thing as happens with attention. And so normally we will be attending to something, there will be a certain amount of focused consciousness on, on something in a moment, while there's simultaneously this background contextual awareness, this other way of knowing. Um, this awareness has a function. It, it alerts attention to something that is unusual or, or important or 
seems to require more attention, right? So things pop out of awareness, <clears throat> and attention goes to them. And as soon as attention goes to something that has popped out, it gets processed in this way I discussed, and evaluated, which may lead to it immediately being let go of, or it may lead to it a continuation of the focus of attention on it. And then there are times when whatever attention has been focused on doesn't seem so important anymore. And so it's as though attention spontaneously begins to browse the field of awareness to see whether there's something else out there that's more interesting and, and useful to pay attention to, right? Okay. When we become, when mindfulness is when both of these functions are working the way they should. Um, mindfulness fails us if we are too, if our attention becomes too focused and we lose awareness, then whatever we're focused on no longer has context. Not only that, things may come up that should be attended to, but they're not. Or there may be things that are more important, more deserving of attention, that are not, they're not, they don't come to be known, so they don't come to be attended to, because when you become overly focused on something, awareness just sort of shrinks and fades. Okay? And whatever you focus on loses context. Of course, if it has a lot of emotions involved in it, this can become one of those unwholesome kind of absorptions that we were talking about last night. And that's exactly what happens when you start becoming too focused on the pain in your ankle and you lose awareness of the pleasantness in the rest of your body or the, the calm that was in your mind before you started worrying about if this pain in your ankle is going to become so bad in 10 minutes that you can't stand it. So you lose, you lose the options, you lose the discrimination, you lose the discernment that allows you to use attention most effectively when you become overly focused. Attention plays an important role. It allows you to know and evaluate and understand something more deeply and more intensely. But when when you get sucked too strongly into focused attention, you lose awareness, you lose contact, you lose perspective. And this is something that we all experience all the time. This is what happens in meditation when you become overly focused on one thing and you forget that you're meditating. And then your mind your attention will move from that to something else, and then your attention will move from the second thing to the third thing. But you've lost the context. You forgot what you were doing. When you're meditating, it's awareness of what you're doing that you lose when you forget. Right? So, to succeed in meditating, you have to have mindfulness in the sense that there is both focused attention, but it's in balance with awareness. Because in what you rely on in meditation is this awareness to alert you when 
you're not doing what you intended to do. When something's happening in your mind, I say you're not doing. Even that is not very good terminology because a lot of what's happening in your mind, there is no intention and doing. There's no self behind it. It's happening. When your mind goes to something else, it's something that happened. You didn't do it. The you that is a doer is pretty much limited. There's that intention to to meditate, and when it comes back into the present, then at that point there becomes possibility of the doing in the sense of letting go of the distraction and coming back to the meditation object. So awareness lets you know what is happening in the mind, so that you can you can do whatever is appropriate. So when we talk about mindfulness, as we were last night, the most important aspect of, of mindfulness for us to cultivate is the awareness of what is actually happening in our mind. That's satisampajana, the uh, introspective awareness. This is most important in all of the times of our lives, not just when we're meditating, but in all of the times of our lives. And if we become too focused, then we will lose, we'll lose the ability to do what it is that we intended to do, because we lose the awareness, and then we don't know when the situation has changed. I, the knower, don't realize when what's happening in my mind is something different than what I originally intended. That's the distinction. It's not that I don't know what... I am doing, because if I was doing it, I would probably know it. <laughs> but it's happening, and because I wasn't what I because I, I wasn't aware of what was happening, I have no ability to respond to it appropriately. So okay, so let, let me hear a little bit from you about this. Does this make sense to you? Any questions? jerks me out of it. Someone stomps by and says, oh, that copier. Or, yes. you know, and, and, and as you pay more attention to what's going on inside yourself, that becomes almost an assault. And you notice that. And then you get chain-reacted into, oh, that distracted me. Oh, now I'm really distracted. Look at where I'm going now. And, and you know, whatever you were doing at your desk, that's gone. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And and then of course you can you can you can chain that together as many ways as you want. Mm-hmm. So okay, we've kind of caught on, returned to the state of cultivating. This is pleasant. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you deal with that? Uh, the world isn't going to stop assaulting you with mm-hmm. oh, that copier or you know whatever the heck it is today. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with, it's someone else's fault taking me out of my nice place. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you, that's good. It brings up something that I wanted to get up. When the attention becomes focused, we lose awareness. And then very often what happens is 
attention moves. There is a very there's a difference between awareness of the context of what's going on and where attention is going there and there and there and there and there and there. All of these little pieces can create a sort of illusion of awareness, but it's not awareness. Attention attention moving from one thing to another can fill the mind. And there's no awareness present. What we need, what you need in the situation that you describe, is to train your mind not to completely lose awareness. Because when you see the context, instead of your mind getting caught in that chain, you know, you get assaulted by uh, the world, as you put it, that's triggering. If you look at what's happening, is attention is moving, awareness is gone. And where awareness should be are all these isolated pieces picked up by rapidly moving attention. These fleeting impressions uh, that uh, are not, they're, they're not real in the sense that if you had awareness, you'd say, oh, why am I getting so disturbed by this? And you would let go of it and you'd go back into that nice place. As a matter of fact, isn't that what sometimes happens? Isn't that what, you know, you feel like has been the benefit of your mindfulness practice are those occasions when exactly that happens, that, that awareness does come up and awareness puts the whole thing in perspective. It, the context returns. And when context returns, then it's, it, it is, it's easy to say, you know, well, I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to do this. Let me... Just go back to, to being, and I'll, I'll deal with the top here. It's not a big deal. Right? So, and that's, that, so that illustrates the difference. But yeah, uh, we lose awareness when we become too focused. And awareness can't come back if, if that intentional activity is just jumping from one thing to another. But it will create the illusion that, oh, well, I still know what's going on. But you don't really. You don't. You, the part of your mind that sees it in the way that allows you to have con context has been deprived of the illumination of consciousness. So it's not contributing to your experience. It's just the illusion. Does that make sense to you? Now... This is important because, you know, this term mindfulness, it's a very unfortunate translation of sati and sampajana. Because in English, if you look at all the ways that the word is used in English, its major connotation is paying attention. Mm -hmm. And that is not the essence of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Attention is a part of mindfulness. But it's not, it's not even the part of mindfulness that is our greatest problem. The part of mindfulness is losing, is that, uh, that, that we need to not lose awareness. We need to strengthen awareness. And we need to maintain a balance between attention and awareness. So when we use the word mindfulness and we think attention, Mindfulness means remembering to pay attention. I've got to remember to pay attention. And 
you know, one of the things we do, we practice mindfulness. You go to a retreat, and they say, when you eat, you know, taking the spoonful of soup and being totally, that's all focused attention, right? Bringing it to my mouth, okay. Tasting it, swallowing it, everything else like that. You're really not practicing mindfulness when you do that. You're practicing focused attention. You're practicing concentration. And that's good because most of us, our problem with our attention is it's going all over the place. And if we weren't doing that, we would be eating and not even paying attention to it. We'd be thinking about something else, and you know, I wish that other person didn't wear that cologne, and you know, all this other kind of <laughs> stuff would be going through your mind from one thing to another. But that's all attention. That's uncontrolled, unrestrained attention. That's constantly moving attention. And mindfulness isn't constantly moving attention. Mindfulness isn't attention darting about from one thing to another, trying to hit on everything. And, and then starting the cycle all over. That's not mindfulness. Mindfulness is placing the attention somewhere, not having all of your consciousness sucked into that focus of attention, so that you're attending, but at the same time, it's within this larger contextual awareness. Having more distributed consciousness that makes sense of everything. That's, that's when you're really practicing mindfulness. Now, that's what you're doing. In, in all of these different ways that we practice meditating, they're all encouraging the development of mindfulness in different ways. But they're all also, in, uh, there is the, uh, the focusing, the attention element as well. And if the only way you're able to do any of these practices is to develop enough awareness, introspective awareness in particular, to know what's going on in the moment. And until you do that, your practice is this interrupted series of a few minutes of noting thinking or feeling or, uh, or whatever, or these very short periods of following the breath interspersed with these long periods of attention going all over the place, and there's no awareness. When you get good at it, it's because you've developed enough awareness that you know immediately when what's happening in your mind starts to be something different than what you intended, and you bring it back to doing that, to doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah? It seems like it's. it always comes back for me to having this really deep internal peace um, of understanding reality, really, because otherwise uh, the attention does dart all over the place. I mean, I, I think what was coming up for me was thinking that I grew up in a really chaotic environment, and so I learned to be constantly aware of everything, or I thought, <laughs> looking back, uh, when I was a young adult, looking back at my childhood, I thought I was aware of a lot of things at once. I had to be aware of everybody's emotional state, you know, mm -hmm. what might fall apart, what might happen, who might, you know, do what at the same, everything at the same time, but now looking at it, maybe it was attention, you know, darting all over the place, mm -hmm. but it's one thing to be also, I don't know, aware of everything that's happening around you and be like, you know, constantly able to have a sense of everything or you think everything at once, then what's happening in your mind 
the awareness of what's happening, uh, like, you know, we've been talking about, it's more important to be mindful of what's happening in your mind than everything around you. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, you kind of have to have both. And so I always come back to, since we live in such a chaotic uh, society and world right now, it just always comes back for me to that finding that peace of understanding reality. And mm-hmm. if it's like, if I can't, but then you have to meditate to get that. So, <laughs> so you know, like I keep coming back to I have to meditate more, I have to meditate more. But, um, like, for me, it's just wanting so much to reach that uh, more than a split second of that understanding. That I feel like I, 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 I see glimpses of it and I feel it, but I can't hold on to it. And so it's like, but I have a gl- but the glimpse of it is enough for me to want to have it all the time so that, mm-hmm. so that it's with me all the time in the chaos. Because that, to me, would be able to have that internal peace to have the awareness. Mm-hmm. The, the, that, you know, I really like your uh, metaphor of the light, the focused light, and, the, and the, like the spotlight versus the... The floodlight. The floodlight, because to me it's like awareness is not really like fractioning attention, but it's kind of like relaxing it. Yeah. Uh, and and to have that, you have to have that peace. And to have that peace, you have to understand reality. Yes. And you can't have that until you relax. And right. it's like a, it's like a, uh, a difficult uh, thing to do in our society that's so chaotic, mm-hmm. with our attention. Like, and you're expected to be so good at concentrating and focusing on your tasks. To be good at your job, you have to be so focused and so like, okay, I can do this. But there's all this chaos and all this chaos. So you have, you know, it's we're all ADD and, you know, every, all the kids have to take Ritalin and, you know, it's like, it's it's a hard world to get that peace and, you know, so it's nice to be able to retreat, but how do you really hold on to it? I guess meditate every day. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> 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 well, that's, yeah, that's, that's, okay, uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> What's that? That's a couple of important points that you just brought up for us. And, uh, uh, well, one of them earlier on is it's important to be aware of what's out there, but it's also important to be aware of what's in the mind and vice versa. I just leap ahead here. At some point, you realize they're both the same thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that the only way you can really be aware of what's out there in an effective yeah. way is to be aware of what's going on in the mind. Um, With perspective so that you don't get sucked in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where awareness is, what I'm calling awareness, is much more fundamental than attention. And it's much more powerful, and it has a lot of more unconscious roots. So there is unconscious awareness or subconscious awareness, and then there is what I've been talking about, which is conscious awareness. That's the small part of awareness that that does register in, in our consciousness. And then superimposed on all of that is this little spotlight of attention. But the awareness that I've been talking about is rooted in a lot of subconscious and unconscious mental processing. So to be aware of what's going on in your mind is is to to have a, a good a good 
chunk of awareness, to be conscious of a good chunk of awareness. And that has already been pre-sorted. These deeper unconscious and subconscious processes have already sorted it out so that the out there that you experience in here, in other words, what's going on out there that if you are aware of in your mind has already been sorted to include what's most important. The other thing that you mentioned, it was the relaxation. You want the peace, the relaxation, and this is something. When we talk about awareness versus attention, think about those times when you're really relaxed and at peace. It's like nothing's bothering you. All you, you know, sometimes this happens after you've finished some major project. I mean, there's different causes for it, but you know what I mean? That you're not really paying attention to anything in particular. And it just feels like your mind just kind of opens up and you're just there with everything. You know, you're sitting on a porch looking at the mountains or, or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, walking through the woods and uh, breathing air. And that's, that's in that place of awareness without, without this focused attention. And it is a very relaxed and peaceful state. And to the greater degree that you bring awareness into balance with your focused attention, that's going to be part of the background and context of the way you deal with things. Subconscious awareness is already pre-filtered so that what's in conscious awareness is what is most likely to be significant or important to you. And then if you can pay attention to whatever in there seems to be whatever in there is most important without losing awareness, then it's pretty sure that whatever you focus your, on, uh, your attention on will be what's most important. Because conscious awareness gives you this larger picture, this context. And if you're focusing on something that isn't important, like being upset about photocopier, Awareness allows you to be aware to, 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 to be aware. Awareness allows you to be aware yeah, of the fact that that this is creating an unpleasant mental state. It's not helping anything. It's not solving any problems. And then you can let go of that and you can shift your attention to something else, which may be solving the problem, rather than being caught up in the negative aspects of the problem and the bad feelings about the problem and so forth. You experience more peacefulness. And this, so bring this back down to meditation, developing awareness and actually coming into a state of flow, which will allow you to enter jhanas. You're meditating and you have, you're cultivating this introspective awareness of what's going on in your mind and you are doing this simple task of meditating. And you, your attention is focused on one thing, and this is really important, because if your attention is moving around, it's really hard to experience awareness when attention's moving. When attention is still, then you can have, then, then, then you can experience awareness. And I, I find a visual example of this is very, very good because you can right now 
focus on some one particular thing. You know, for example, you could focus on my teacup and hold your eyes there and allow yourself to become aware of everything else around here. And you can hold a, a large visual awareness while your eyes are still. And that's very much like when you stabilize attention, then you can experience that larger contextual awareness as the background to it. It's much harder to do that when your eyes are moving. And it's much easier to miss something important if your eyes are darting around from one thing to another. As a matter of fact, have you ever dropped something on the floor? And you're looking, and you're looking, and you're looking. Your eyes are darting from one focal point to another, and you can't find it. And then you sort of back up, and you just, oh, there it is. <laughs> Ever had that experience? But your mind works exactly the same way. You know, uh, it, it's in a way, it's amazing how similar our visual system is mm. to our cognitive system. And I think, I think it's the intuitive awareness of that that why we why we use the word. Uh, oh, I see, you know, well, I, mean, I understand. Or I'm watching the breath. Well, your eyes are closed. You're not watching the breath. You're observing the breath. You're knowing the breath. You're experiencing the breath. But there are a lot of very great similarities between what happens visually and what happens in the cognitive systems of the mind. And this is a really good illustration of it. In order to develop awareness, just like developing peripheral vision, to do it effectively, you need to gain some control over the movement of the eyes, and likewise you need to gain some control over the movement of attention. Which doesn't mean that attention can't move, because it can. But you need to stop attention from moving until you can come to this place of being able to sustain this larger awareness, especially this introspective awareness of what's happening in the mind itself. And that's where, that's where this whole method you know, if we look at sequentially, the development of samatha and then the uh, practice of the jhanas, that's what it's doing. We start out, we sit down, and we're trying to... The first thing we try to do is to steady our attention, to stabilize our attention. Because we really can't do anything else until we've done that. When we first sit down, what we... What happens, we may not recognize it immediately, but we do after we've meditated a little while, is that we have our meditation object, and that's what we want to pay attention to. So anything else that's present is a potential distraction, right? So the, the world is divided up into two categories, meditation object and distractions. Right? So what will happen is that the attention will shift away from the meditation object to one of those distractions. And when that happens, it's called gross distraction. We may not have forgotten the meditation object yet. But if we stay on that gross distraction for very long, we will forget. And once we forget, then the mind, then the attention is free to move from one thing to another, and we have mind wandering. So the sequence of what happens is we place our attention on something, gross distraction occurred, followed by forgetting, followed by mind wandering, and then followed by remembering and bringing the attention back. In the development of samatha, we work through this process from the other direction. We say, okay, 
First, let's try to deal with mind wandering. And you do that. The, the, the first stage is developing a practice. Second stage is really working to overcome mind wandering. So the periods of mind wandering become short. And then in the third stage, we work on forgetting. You overcome forgetting. And then in the fourth stage, the fourth stage, you never lose awareness of the meditation object, but other things displace it. You have gross distraction, so you're aware of two things at once. Mm-hmm. In the fourth stage, you work on overcoming gross distraction. Once you get through the fourth stage, then now you have some attentional stability. There's still a lot of other stuff in your mind, but it stays in the background, and you're aware of it in the background. But your attention can stay focused on your meditation object. Now, in the process of doing this, how you got here was by developing awareness, exercising awareness, practicing awareness, because you had to be aware when your mind was moving away from the meditation object so that you could bring it back. Because if you weren't, until you started becoming aware of things like that, until you got to the place of being aware of what's happening in your mind, there's really nothing you could do to correct for it. But... Whenever that awareness was present, then, then you could do something, and then then you could have that victory. Then ah, okay, and you bring it back. As your awareness develops, this becomes easier and easier to do, and it becomes a more and more continuous process. The other, the other obstacle, the other main obstacle that we experience is a tendency of the mind to slip into dullness, especially when we are no longer paying attention to all the stuff that would ordinarily stimulate the mind, especially when we're paying attention to something like, no matter, the, the most fascinating meditation object in the world will become stale after a little while, you know, because it, it's, it's really hard to, to retain its fascination after you've spent so many hundreds of hours looking at it. You know, when you carefully observe your first 200,000 breaths, it holds very few surprises anymore. <laughs> so, um, so there's a tendency to slip into dullness. The, the fifth stage you work on overcoming dullness. When you come to the sixth stage, you have stability of attention and you've trained your mind not to slip into dullness. And that's the first point at which we can begin practicing jhanas at the sixth stage of the ten stages of samatha, you can start to practice jhana. And if we look at the jhanas themselves, what are these jhanas anyway? I keep saying it in plural. Well, there are basically four of them. Often you'll see that there are eight, but it turns out that the latter four are really variations on the fourth. So there's basically four jhanas. They're called the four-form jhanas. And they've been defined in terms of particular attributes which are called the jhana factors. So the first jhana is an absorption in which there is directed and sustained attention while there is awareness of the mental state of joy and feelings of pleasure and happiness. Piti. Piti is the mental state of joy. 
Sukha are his feelings of pleasure, bodily pleasure, and mental happiness. And directed and sustained attention, Vitaka and Vichara. So there are these four jhana factors that are definitive of the first meditative absorption. Does everybody have a hand up? Okay. Anybody that doesn't? Oh, okay. Well, let's get handouts for those that don't. Do you want hard music? Sure. Well, we're doing that, can I ask? Yes. So I just want to regurgitate. Okay. So that I think I got. Um, in the literature, they use the word mindfulness. Mm-hmm. At least the Western interpretations of what. So, mindfulness, you would like, you've said, uh, is perhaps more correctly, or at least in a more Eastern form. A little better interpreted as awareness, and I, I, I'm fine with the whole you know, awareness of what's there, as opposed to focused attention. Mm-hmm. Which, if I'm sitting here focusing on my breath, or I like the mm-hmm. pointing out mindful eating, right, or mindful walking. You're right. That's not. That's practicing focusing my attention is not on what's there. Um, And in fact, overall, we need both of those. That's right. We need both of those. And uh, you started out saying that the the Eastern interpretation of mindfulness is that it was awareness. What it is, it's both of those. Sati is both of those. S-A-T-I. Thank you. S-A-T-I. Sati is both, it's attention and awareness in balance, working together, okay. in, optimal, optimally, working together optimally. Right. Uh, the problem with the translation of mindfulness is that its connotation in English, if you look at, at some of the bigger dictionaries where they gave you lots of examples of how a word is used, mm-hmm. you'll see most of the ways that mindfulness is used refer to attention. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, right? attention. And which is what makes it an unfortunate choice. Right. Because most of us growing up speaking English language are <clears throat> we're going to immediately gravitate towards that particular uh, implication of the word mindfulness. And that's unfortunate because in terms of sati, which is the optimal balance of the two, it's not, that's not the one that we're most lacking in. We're most lacking in keeping that in balance with the awareness. Right. Now, this is recognized. That said, the word mindfulness was brought in by uh, British, uh, the, the scholars of the British Raj who went to India and to Southeast Asia, to the colonies, and they studied these philosophies and religions, and they introduced the word mindfulness, and we're kind of stuck with it. And those people, if you look at the scholars of today, 
who work with mindfulness, and their definitions, they clearly recognize that awareness is an important part of it. But this is not something that you hear in meditation classes. <laughs> right? But if you look at John Kabat-Zinn's writings directed towards other professionals, you find he speaks of the importance of awareness. Right? If you look at the Cambridge Handbook of Consciousness and how the term mindfulness is discussed there, there's no question they understand the importance of awareness. Uh, so that that is being understood, but right now it's it's not being understood at the level of most meditation classes. So that's that's important for us to realize. Okay, so back to everybody's got a handout now. So you can follow along a little more closely. Okay, this the first of the meditative absorptions called jhana is characterized by directed and sustained attention accompanied by awareness of the mental state of joy and the feelings of pleasure and happiness. So this, in other words, this is stabilized attention plus introspective awareness, right? Well, why didn't they just say so? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, at the sixth stage, you have enough stability of attention and you have enough introspective awareness, because you have to develop the introspective awareness in stages two, three, four, and five to get to the sixth state. You have enough introspective awareness and stability of attention that you can enter the first jhana. You can enter a first jhana, a light form of first jhana. It's light because your mind isn't really unified yet. And you've had to sort of Rather than spontaneously arising meditative joy that just kind of floods your body and mind, you've had to cultivate it in the way I've been discussing. You have to make yourself notice what's good and pleasant when you're not meditating, and then you sit down to meditate and you notice how good it feels to sit here and how nice it is when my mind is peaceful and, and how good it makes me feel when I'm able to just do the practice and breath after breath after breath, I just follow it and stay with it. So you cultivate those things. And so then you have enough to enter a jhana from the first stage, but it's fairly light because the mind's not strongly unified, joy isn't really strongly developed. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you enter, this is what I call the ultra-light jhana. If you enter jhana with the six stages access, you are going to, even in the first jhana, there will still be thoughts taking place. Thoughts like, oh, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, this is what they're talking about. Mm. (laughs) I mean, you can't think too much or it'll bump you out of the jhana. But you'll have thoughts. They they will be there. You know, there will be a kind of, uh, maybe not so verbal, uh, thoughts, but uh, but uh, some kind of that, that kind of processing take place. But you'll recognize that you've entered into a different mental state. And what's different about this mental state is that your directed and sustained attention 
has caused a really strong coalition of all the different mental processes. And so now there is this unification of mind, which is, that's the one jhana factor that's present in all of the jhanas. Most of the descriptions of the jhanas, it's not typically mentioned because it's always there. <laughs> unification of mind. You use a directed and sustained attention to bring about a sufficient degree of unification of mind to experience this mental state. And it is a mental state where the mind is 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 now settled, focused, functioning coherently. And you'll recognize it. it's like, wow, okay. And you'll recognize that, well, I've had I've had this experience before. I've had this experience when doing my favorite hobby and I'm just totally in it and you know, I just everything else disappears. I don't think about anything else. I don't worry about anything else. In other words, the flow experience that Csikszentmihalyi talks about. So you recognize that, ah, this is a state of mind that my mind's always been capable of, and I've always entered into, uh, every now and then I've been lucky enough to enter into when I do certain kinds of things. What's different about it is that through meditation you've entered into it by doing nothing other than training your mind. It's not dependent upon some particular activity. You know, the the study I mentioned earlier, people are most fully present, they're most in a flow state when they're having sex. Okay, so this means that you can enter an absorption through mental training. It's not dependent on external activities. It's not like sex or other things like this. It's completely internally generated. And the important thing about it is you can learn to do it at any time. I mean, at first, at, at first, you work your way up to it, you enter the jhana, and you, you manage to be in this state of flow in meditation for a short period of time, and then, and then you pop out, and then you'll have to get all the conditions right again so that you can go back into it. But it's different in that you're not dependent upon some set of external circumstances. It's all internally generated. And it is just the beginning of what the possibilities are. Now, to enter into the first jhana of the ultralight type, and that's, of course, that's what we're going to try to do first. Um, The way this is done is that your directed and sustained attention must have an object that requires so much of your conscious bandwidth that it lends itself to absorption. It lends itself to everything else disappearing to your, from your mind. And so the way we do that is really simple. If you've been meditating using the sensations of your breath, when you get to the fifth and sixth stages, you will be introduced to a practice that's called experiencing the whole body with the breath. Uh, In the sutras where the Buddha discusses meditation, what you'll find over and over again the sequence, you know, that gone to the forest, to the root of a tree, to an empty hut, he sits down, places, uh, sits down, crosses his legs, his back straight, places his mindfulness before him, and mindfully he breathes in, mindfully he breathes out. 
When he breathes in a long breath, he knows he breathes in a long breath. When he breathes out a long breath, he knows he breathes out a long breath. When he breathes in a short breath, he knows it. When he breathes out a short breath, he knows it. And then comes the lines. Experiencing the whole body, he breathes in. Experiencing the whole body, he breathes out. Thus he trains himself. This is the practice of experiencing the whole body with the breath. And this is what you can do if you, you, you experience the whole body with the breath. It takes all of your conscious capacity. There's no room anymore left for other thoughts and sensations and worries about this and that. It lends itself to the degree of focus of directed and sustained attention that allows you to enter jhana. And uh, so that's what we're going that's what we're going to try to do first. We're going to try to get you calm, relaxed, try to let you uh, find the place of flow with your meditation object and then expand your meditation object until it becomes so demanding that it requires you to go into a state of absorption. And if you do it properly, if we manage to get all the pieces together, this will be accompanied by a feeling of joy and happiness. And there may be some interesting other bodily sensations that come along with it, but it will be an experience of the first jhana. You're not going to go into a trance. Okay? And what you are going to have present, you're going to have attention focused on this sensation of the body. And it's, right? But you're going to also have, have introspective awareness of the mind itself. So you're going to be aware of what you are doing. You're going to have meta-awareness. You're going to have this meta-awareness. That's where the thought's going to come from. Oh, wow, I guess I, I did it. This is, this is it. You're going to be aware of the sensations in your body, and you're going to be aware of the joy and happiness in your mind. That's introspective awareness. You're going to be in a state of mindfulness. You're going to have a balance of attention and awareness, and you'll be able to, to stay in there for a little while. And then you'll pop out. Yeah. Do you mean when you say awareness of the body and the breath in the body, <clears throat> that that you are expanding the sensations of the breath at the nostril mm-hmm. to the sensation of the breath in the body? So that's right. So if you're breathing in, you may feel it. Some very slight subtle change in your leg or your shoulders or your neck. But it's yeah. a direct result of the breathing in and the breathing out. Is that what you mean? It's, well, yes. As a matter of fact, what we're, what we're going to do, and we're going to have to get to work on doing some of these meditation exercises to get there, is what you're looking for initially, before you get to the jhana stage, is to be able to recognize sensations that change with the breath other than those that occur at the nose and the chest and the abdomen. When you breathe in and out, the air moves across the skin here, creates clearly perceptible sensations. The, uh, 
the abdominal wall and skin stretch as the lungs, uh, as the diaphragm uh, contracts to expand the lungs, it pushes all the contents of the abdomen down. And so the wall of the abdomen and the skin uh, stretch, and there may be some movement in, uh, uh, associated with that stretching where the skin contacts the clothing. And so those movements are clearly there. There is the movement of the rib cage as it arises and as the muscles contract uh, up in here, uh, upper part of your chest and shoulders. All of those produce sensations. And so there are clearly discernible movement sensations that anybody and everybody can observe that happen here and here and here. What you're going to do is you're going to look for more subtle sensations that occur elsewhere in the body. So, um, there, are, there are still movement sensations that as, as your mindful awareness becomes sharper, you'll become aware that, well, indeed, each time I inhale and exhale, there is some slight movement in my upper arm, and there's some slight movement around the area of my hips. And so you'll be aware, oh, there are sensations that change with the breath. You'll see that with each inhale and exhale, there are certain subtle sensations that you can detect. As you work your way further and further out, more distally, the sensations become subtler, and not only that, they become sensations that are not related necessarily to physical movement. We won't worry about what they're caused by, but you, you will find that you will be able to perceive them until after you practice this for a while, I don't know how quickly you'll get there, but if you do the practice of experiencing the whole body with the breath, you'll get to a place where you can feel every breath in your big toe. You can feel every breath in the tip of your ear. It's a, it, it's a subtle sensation, but as you become aware of it and, and as, as your mindful awareness and your uh, attentiveness both sharpen up, It'll, it'll become more and more clear. Then the next thing is to put it all together. But actually, just, just being able to detect these sensations is, is a challenge in itself. But eventually you want to put it all together where you can experience the whole body with the breath. So that as you inhale, you know, and I can feel it right now, even as I'm talking to you. I can feel it right down to my toes. I can feel it in the tips of my hands, my fingers. I can experience the whole body with the breath, even while I'm sitting here with my eyes open and looking at you. So, I don't know how soon you can do that, but I hope it's really soon. This is something that fully occupies your mind. And it's satisfying and it's exciting. It's very conducive to a flow experience, which becomes the first jhana. So you're aware of your, you're aware of the sensations in your body. At the same time, you can't, your, your biggest danger in this is if you become so focused on the sensations of the breath in the body that you lose this awareness that we're talking about a 
thought will come and you won't notice it. And the thought will move in and become so big that after a while, you're just thinking the thought. You're no longer experiencing the body with the breath. So that's, uh, you have to, you have to stay in that place of while you are, while your attention is focused on these sensations in the body, that you continue to be aware of what is happening. In other words, there needs to be this ongoing awareness that, yes, I'm still aware of the sensations in the body. Uh, there, a thought came and it went, but you didn't chase after it. A sound came and it went, but the mind stayed on the sensations of the body. You know that these things happen. You know it through awareness. You know it not through attention. You know it not through through focusing your attention on these things, but rather that that immediate awareness to just these things. This is what's happening, moment to moment. So you have to have that. Now, if you have that, then you will truly be in the jhana. You will be aware of the mental state of happiness and the feelings. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm curious when you're talking about the whole the whole body of the breath, uh, or experience of the whole body. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, in, in meditation, um, you'll have tension releases and things like that, tingles that are. Um, not so much the subtle mechanical movement of the breath, yeah. but uh, just just from the relaxation response. I mean, sometimes I get a flutter in my, a, a yeah. muscle back here. Is that included in? Is well, that's that included in that. That's included in, and those will actually become quite strong and quite pronounced uh, as you develop the state. Uh, uh, the state of meditative joy called PT involves a whole lot of other things other than joy including a lot of strange sensations in the body, and they'll become very strong. And as a matter of fact, in a part of this process, as you become aware of these subtle sensations of the breath in the body, you'll become aware of energy currents and vibratory phenomena and things like that. So that is definitely a part of it. You, your approach to this, you're not trying to discriminate, well, is this part of it or not? Is this something I should be aware of, or is this something I should not be aware of? Don't do that at all. If you are aware of it, it's there. That's all. You just be aware of what is there. Okay? Don't judge it. Don't attach to it. Just let it let it be and let that awareness grow and, and increase. Yes. So in this state, are we also to... Uh, stay aware of what's happening outside of us, or no? Is this more of a what? Okay, what you, what you are that's a very good question. What you're going to notice is that as you begin to to try to perform an attentional task that requires so much of your consciousness capacity, you're going to cease. You're going to progressively. Uh, cease to be aware of more and more of anything outside of that. And that is the idea of it as an absorption, is that external sounds, feelings, things like that, will they will penetrate less and less often. Because it's really, you, don't, you just don't have the capacity left over to notice those things. Yeah. And instead, all of your awareness is going to have more to do with your mental state. 
your attention is focused on these sensations in the body and your awareness is of your mental state. And so everything else, all of your consciousness is used up. So you have none left over for these other things. That, that is what I find. But I thought since last night we were, you mentioned about uh, practicing the jhanas with mindfulness. I was thinking that that meant maintaining a greater awareness and I'm not there. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes uh, I feel like I can. Okay, no, it doesn't, and that's good. Let me explain that, and then I know some of you need to stretch and go to the washroom, but let me just explain something there. What the jhanas are doing is they are deliberately, they're saying the whole realm of sensation, that's the first thing that we're going to let go of. Now, in this ultralight jhana, we don't do that in the first jhana. As a matter of fact, Throughout the ultralight jhanas, there continues to be aware of awareness of bodily sensation. But in the ultralight jhana, we are letting go of other kinds of sensations. The eyes are closed, uh, but even visual imagery ceases to be, you know, the, the, the thoughts that take visual form, there's no room for them. Um, sounds, things like that. In the deeper jhanas, when you enter the first jhana, there is a complete withdrawal of the mind from the senses. So that's the the idea is that uh, you deliberately eliminate the whole sensory aspect. The mindfulness component is entirely mind introspective awareness. It's entirely mindfulness of the mind. Uh, and also, there was a question last night about. Satipatthana, the four applications of mindfulness and how they relate to this. So I can tie that together at this point. In, in these ultralight jhanas, you have, uh, you have awareness and attention of the body. You have awareness and uh, you, uh, aware, the attention is on the body, but you also have awareness of the feelings of happiness and pleasure, which is the second application of mindfulness. You have awareness of the mental state of joy and of the unification of mind, both of which are a part of the third application of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of chitanupasana, uh, which is uh, mindfulness of mental states. So, while you're doing this, you're, you're actually practicing the foundations of mindfulness. But in the higher jhanas, in order to really go deeply into the mind itself and to understand the nature of the mind itself, the first thing that you discard is sensory awareness. You just let go of that. So in no case in the jhanas does mindfulness imply that you're aware of external sounds and things like that. As a matter of fact, that's uh, those are those are the dangers and threats to your 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 absorptions. They'll bump you out of it if there's a if there's a loud enough sound, or somebody comes and taps you on the shoulder or something like that, you come right out of the jungle. Yeah. Could you comment on how to stabilize in the first jhana? As opposed to sliding off. I mean, this is my personal question. Mm -hmm. 
sliding into the other ones. Sliding into other jhanas? Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, if we're going to practice first, yeah. how shall I right. stabilize? Right. Um, what the, your anchor in the first jhana is directed and sustained attention. The second jhana and all the higher jhanas have do not have directed and sustained attention. Um, so if you want to stabilize in the first jhana, it requires that you continue to be aware of your meditation object. You continue to be aware of the... Uh, as here, Here's some subtle distinctions between these different levels of jhana. Then uh, there are some jhana practices where you have some kind of meditation object in all of the jhanas. In the ultralight jhanas, the first ones we're going to do, in all in all four of the form jhanas, you still have an awareness of the uh, sensations of the breath and the body. So there's a meditation object in all of those. The when the letting go of uh, directed and sustained attention uh, in the ultralight jhanas takes a different form. It's what you're doing is you're letting go of those sort of thoughts that notice what's happening. There, there's thoughts and discursive thinking in the ultralight jhana. So if you wanted to stabilize yourself in the ultralight jhana and not move to the second jhana, is you allow those sort of noticings, those thought-like noticings to keep occurring. If you move into any of the other higher jhanas, then to then it is your meditation object that's going to keep you, uh, like in the, in the light jhanas, you enter the light jhanas using the strong energy sensations uh, of, uh, of piti and the feeling of joy. To move into the second jhana, you focus on the, the joy and happiness and you let go of the, uh, the energy sensations. So if you want to stabilize yourself in the first jhana, that's what you have to focus on and not let go of, not allow that aware the that not awareness, that attention to the energy of PT to be lost. Because if it does, then then you can't stabilize there. This is a problem that uh, I don't know how appropriate it is to this discussion. When I went to Lee Brasington and learned to do these light jhanas, for the first few days I could go to the third jhana and the fourth jhana, but I could not go to the first and second. It took it took some careful instruction by him and learning to understand what was uh, what was unique to these light jhanas to be able to enter the, the because remember I had done the deep jhanas and the first jhana of the deep jhanas is really more like Lee Brasington's fourth jhana. So and so my mind just naturally uh, let go of those things. But I don't think most of you are going to have that problem. The stabilization of jhana that you need to do is to be able to stay in the jhana state for a longer and longer period. You don't need to worry about slipping up to the higher jhanas too quickly. Death. I've had the experience um, of having an expansion, contraction, and pressure, like feeling like my brain is pressing yeah. against my skull and my ear canal. And my face is like cutting, pulling, and pushing, mm -hmm. and then my head will jerk. Yeah. And sometimes that feels 
scary. Is that part of the John experience? That's part of PT. That's part of PT, and you can use that. You can use that to enter the the uh, Lee Brasington Ayakima kind of like jhanas. But those sensations are part of PT, the sensations and the movements you describe, and they're an indication of unification of mind. Uh, the the uh, if you look on here, the jhanas that I've been talking about are ultralight that are accessed in the uh, that access from stage six on page fourteen. The jhanas that Ayakima and Lee Brasington teach, that I call the light L I T E jhanas, those are accessed from stage seven. Stage seven is where there is no more discursive thought in your mind. Uh, you're, you, you, you have very strong, stable concentration, and you're re- able to remain relatively single-pointedly focused for long periods of time. PT arises in that stage, and it's early arising is associated with strong physical sensations and movements, like what you were describing. And so if you're at that stage, you can use that as, as your uh, uh, starting point, and you can use seventh stage concentration as access to enter that kind of jhana. So as long as this has come up, I'm just going to go ahead and briefly say the third major kind of jhana are the L-I-G-H-T jhanas, light jhanas. These are ones where when you've got to the eighth or ninth stage of the practice, PT is strong and, and a, a light has appeared. And behind your closed eyes, you experience a really strong light. You can take that as your meditation object, and you could use that to enter these, this kind of light jump, which isn't really that light. It's pretty deep because your concentration is pretty strong. But it has... You're using light illumination behind closed eyes as your meditation object to enter into it. Yeah? But I don't understand how do you use that state to move into something else? How you use... Mm-hmm. If you're in that... Light, I'm sorry, what? If you're in that light jhana, how, how do you use it to move into something else, or why do we do that? <laughs> okay, well, that's a good question. How do you and why do you? First of all, with any of these jhanas, to move into anything else, you need to get used to them. At first, they're amazing, and uh, they, they total, they're, they're totally captivating. But you stabilize them, you get used to them, and then, then you can begin to aware of what is there and what isn't there, and that, you know... Uh, at first, you enter these jhanas, and you say, oh, gee, there was no sense of self. Well, there really is a sense of self. You get to the point where you realize, okay, yeah, that's still there. It's changed. It's now in a subtler form. It's still subject to object duality, and so forth. Um, you feel like, oh, there's no, no thought, no intent. But then you realize that there is still subtle kind of thinking taking place in the light jhana. When you get used to them, when you come to understand them, then you can refine them. 
It's a process of refinement. Okay, I understand what this John is all about. And I can see now that there's another place that I can go with this. Then you can move to the other kind of jhanas from there. The question as to why you would, this has to do with why you would, why you would practice jhanas anyway, why you would learn to meditate. You're trying to, you, what you're wanting to do is to gain insight into the way that things really are. Uh, it's a big step to let go of all of all of the sensory input because basically your life has been dominated by sensation. And it's a big step to just move into that place of just the mind itself. But then there are all these further refinements possible. And each refinement brings with it a deepening understanding and insight. So that that's why you would do that. Um, they're very pleasant, and some people will suggest, oh, if you do jhana practice, it's going to be so pleasant that you'll never want to do anything else. And, you know, that's not really true. You'll do them until you get used to them, and then you'll become very aware that, that there's someplace else to go and something else to do from there. Okay? Yeah. So, uh, the last night you were talking about uh, you were doing jhana practice and outside there was a car crash you didn't know about it until afterwards. Yeah. Um, for me, that's kind of usual for my meditation practice, that I focus on body sensations mm -hmm. and kind of like that. I don't really notice what's going on outside. But it's not this experience, that it's often unpleasant or that, that the after effects are good, but that it's unpleasant, neutral, that it doesn't necessarily fill with joy or whatever, like sometimes the body sensations just kind of suck. Um, uh, what's different about a jhana practice that creates these uh, positive states? That's, um, I didn't quite follow that whole thing. I heard what you said at the end, but I didn't see how it related so to what you said it's like, at the end. Uh, I guess my question is, what's the difference between these jhana practices that you're describing, where uh, the the absorption becomes with, uh, the, the, by focusing on the body, you become absorbed in a joyful way, versus focusing on the body, you become simply absorbed on what's happening in the body, which may or may not be joyful. What's the difference between them? Uh, well, what's the difference in the practice, I guess, that's creating this joy rather than just viewing what's in the body as, you know, the same way you could view anything else. Were you wanting to respond to that? I had an idea of what it, how it yeah. is for me, uh, is the, the identification with it. For me, it's like when a sense of less, of identifying with the sensations, or I don't know if you call that ego. Or, um, I, I, so I know what you mean, that it's like they, they become less solid, you know, it's like, there's not complexes around them, there's just the sensations? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, kind of a, I don't know, I don't know if it's a, like, um, like a separating, not separating, but um, like not becoming identified with the sensations, I guess you could say. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I, I think I understand. But, but it seems like in, also what you're talking about, there's 
new sensations coming in. The daily life sometimes there is and isn't joy. And in this observation, uh, in this style, this PTN sukha comes in, right? Well, specifically what happens, the sequence is that the unification of mind gives rise to piti, which is a joyful state. And secondary to that joyful state are pleasurable sensations that are experienced in the body, but they're not derived from something stimulating nerve endings in the body. They are different. They're experienced in the body, and they are pleasurable, but they are actually the result of the mental state of PT. Um, what I was talking about is to help us to get to, to get to a certain degree of unification and to give, give the uh, PT a little boost, we deliberately notice actual physical sensations in the body that are pleasant and we notice them preferentially rather than the unpleasant ones. That helps us to get things going. But when PT comes on, the body will be flooded. The experience you have subjectively is your body is flooded by pleasant experience. It very often seems to start up here and just sort of go everywhere in your body. Uh, but it's not coming from some external phenomenon interacting with your sensory nerve endings, and it's not a question of directing attention to it, it's an awareness of it. Now just a little description here of uh, the first jhana, page 9. He permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this very body with the joy and pleasure born from withdrawal. That's, that's what is is being referred to there. The joy and pleasure not born from sense contact. It's joy and pleasure suffusing the body, filling the body, that is born from withdrawal. Do you see the distinction there? So that's it's coming from the joy. And that's how it's different than actually looking at, at uh, sensations, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, that are derived from, from physical contact, stimulation of sensory nerve endings and so forth. It's really coming from the mind. It's yeah, experience that, in the body. That answers the question. So it seems like the, the difference between trying to get into this sort of state and just pure mindfulness of body sensations is, in this practice, we're giving uh, more preference to observing the pleasant sensations than observing them all equally. That's right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Okay, it's time for you to take a break and stretch and do things like that. And we'll we'll come back here for some uh, guided meditation practice uh, at eleven o'clock.